Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now let's worship God by opening his word. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Brad, if you don't know me, and I'm the campus pastor here, and I'm also on the preaching team. So uh, grab your Bibles if you would. Um, we'll be in Matthew 6 this morning. If you did not bring a Bible, that's okay. There's one underneath the seat somewhere around you, Matthew 6. And if you have not been here, uh, we've been on a, in a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And we've been looking at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So Jesus' disciples, they see him, and they see him praying, and they see the power of his prayer. And they see the, 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 the tenderness of his prayer, the, the priority of his prayer. And, and so they ask Jesus this, this sweet request, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And so that is what we are asking this morning. Lord, teach us to pray. And he does. And so that's my guarantee to you that this sermon series, even this morning, that Jesus himself is teaching us to pray. He's showing us how to pray. So Matthew 6 will be in, in verses 5 through 13. It says this. And this is Jesus talking. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. And last week we looked at the line, we're just going through line by line, we looked at the line Hallowed be your name. Holy is the Lord. He is holy. He is set apart. His, his, his glory, the manifest beauty of his holiness is, is ever apparent. And so we say, hallowed be your name. And this is not a statement, though, though we do know God is holy, and we can, we can treat it that way, of God, you are holy. This is a petition saying, God, broadcast your glory. Let the world see you for who you are. Let your name be glorified. 
broadcast your glory. Help me to live in light of your glory. Help me to bask in your holiness and to live in light of who you are. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we agree that God is holy and we say, God, glorify yourself in us and in the world. Hallowed be your name. This is the perfect backdrop for what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. The Holy One has all authority. All power. And so the the backdrop here is that there is a king in heaven who rules and reigns. And we're calling him to say, your kingdom come. And so I want to focus on three things out of this three-word line this morning. Just three things. One is, is that there's a personal plea here. The two, that we're, we're assert, when we pray this, we're, we're asserting a future reality. And then third, we're, we're, we're asking to get involved here when we say your kingdom come. So number one, when we pray your kingdom come, we're making a personal plea. And I want to just start off with, with a bit of utter cultural blasphemy. So the gospel of our day is this. That little voice inside your head is infallible. That little, that little thing, you call it your gut, you call it your heart, you call it whatever you want to, but you should listen to that. You should listen to what the voice inside your head is saying. You should trust your intuition. And live by it. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what this means? This means if if you are to follow this narrative, you are self-determining. You are the arbiter of truth. You are the master of your destiny. You rule, you reign, you are king. That's what the world says. That's the narrative of our day. Jesus says, no. No, that's not, that's not right. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There is a true king. The Father, the Heavenly Father, has given all authority in heaven and on earth to King Jesus. There is a true King, and we are not self-sovereigns, but we are subjects. And this is good news. Because He's a good King. And we don't bow in reluctant submission, but we come before the God who first loved us, the God who is love. And so we're not self-sovereigns, but we are meant to be subjects. And this is very hard for us, isn't it? Just this week, we were on vacation in Gulf Shores, 
and I was running along the, the road that goes along the beach, which is a great place to meet Jesus early because the cars go like right by you. So you're like, one teenager reaches for his vape pen and that's, that's it. But So I'm running and I see on this bridge, there's this woman holding her phone out and on this side is the beach and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful day. There's some clouds, bright sun, and on this side is a bay, and it's just this beautiful, calm marsh. And here she is framing herself in a selfie. And it sounds silly, it sounds funny, but think about what we're doing when we do this. She's in the foreground, And the beauty of nature, of creation, is in the background, framing her. Isn't that interesting? As opposed to turning the phone around and taking a picture of the beauty, she's saying, look at me. See my beauty. This is the disorder that we struggle with. to be supreme in our own affections, to desire the glory that is, that is rightly God's, to be the hero in our own story, to say, my kingdom come. Satan's most effective tactic is to play on this desire, is to use this desire And he doesn't usually say, worship me. He usually says, worship yourself. In Matthew 4, it'll be on the screen, we see this happening. This is the temptation of Jesus. This is how he handles temptation. But I want you to notice how Satan handles the temptation. Jesus said to him, and and Satan has has tested him twice. He's like, "If, if you're really God, Jesus... You're really the son of God. Make this stone become bread. If you're really God, you can jump off this building. You won't be hurt if you're really God. And so he's poking at Jesus' ego. Jesus responds. He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's like, I am God. Don't test me. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. After failing twice, Satan comes with his favorite and most effective temptation. You'll be the powerful one. You'll be the glorious one. You'll be the one who is seen. You'll be in the foreground. What does Jesus say? He quotes Deuteronomy 6. He's like, no. I'm about my father's business. I'm about my father's name. That's why I'm here. Be gone, Satan. When I was a kid, we had these choose-your-own-adventure books. I don't know if any of y'all have, have read one of those before, but you, you, you read the book and you choose a path. And you're like, okay, do you go into the cave or do you go around the cave? And you're like, go into the cave. And it's like, oh, well, you got 
bit by a brown recluse and you're dead. Good luck. You can cheat if you look ahead to each path and you choose the good one. But so you, you, you choose your, your own path here. And, and what Jesus really offers us here is you can choose your own treason. Because we will be traitors. The question is traitors to whom? Everyone in here is a traitor. You commit yourself to God, you're a traitor to the world and to Satan. You commit yourself to, to the world, to Satan, or, or to be supreme in your own affections, which is the same thing. To be the glorious one and you commit treason against God. We are traitors by nature. And therefore, I want you to see how revolutionary and how powerful it is to say just those three words, your kingdom come. To make that statement, say, no, I'm not king. This is a personal plea for God to plant his flag in the high ground of our hearts. Your kingdom come. Jonathan Edwards once said that that true religion consists in, in holy affections, in good desires. You see, the the heart in the Bible is the center of your soul. What you think, what you feel, what you do, it all emanates from within you, from your heart. So the question is, what are your affections set on? What are you most desirous of? Jesus in Mark 12, it'll be on the screen, he helps us to, to, to see really the, the orientation of, of what our heart should be. The scribes always came up to Jesus. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. So we see that love is foremost. It's not love for yourself. It's not love for your fellow man. It's love for God with all your mind and soul and strength, with every shred of who you are, Jesus says, love God. And so this is not reluctant submission. This is overwhelming love. This is a response to the the scandalous great love of Jesus, loving him back. With all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, we respond to the one who has loved us first. So your kingdom come is a personal plea. It is, God, help me to surrender. 
is God, help me to, to want your rule and reign in this world, but in me, align my heart with your kingdom. Your kingdom come in me. That's what we pray. It's a plea. Number two, when we pray your kingdom come, we're asserting a future reality. We're asserting a future reality. So what is the kingdom? We should define our terms. We shouldn't just say stuff. What is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign, the territory over which God has authority, power, and rule, which is to say everywhere. So you might say, why is the world so messed up then? If Jesus is on his throne, why is the world such a place of tragedy? The reason is this. We live in what what is called the already, but not yet. The already, but not yet. You could say that that we live in a time where where the king has come and and fulfilled, but but he's not finished. And so in Luke 4, 18, we're going to see Jesus do something. This is the kind of stuff that God Jesus killed. And it's awesome. So here's Jesus. He's quoting Scripture. He's in the temple. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. The the people hearing this have heard this many times. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And it got real quiet. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The one to come, the Messiah, the Christ, the one I just read about, the one that you read about all the time in your scriptures, it's me fulfilled. The king is here. The kingdom was inaugurated by Jesus when he put on flesh and he came to earth. The king walked among us. And his perfect life, his beautiful life, without sin, his perfect life led to that point of a violent death on the cross. And the devil thought at that moment that he had won, but something was wrong. This was not an ordinary death. Something felt different about this death. Because this king who had come has now died for his people. This king has now absorbed all of the wrath, all of the pain on himself that he could bring in his people into the kingdom free, clean, and paid for. And then he rose and I can just imagine in hell, a billion off-tune instruments got real, real quiet. Because the devil is a loser. And his plan 
turned back on himself, Jesus says, I've conquered death. You have not killed me, but I have laid my life down as a substitutionary sacrifice for my people that they would be atoned for. And now I've risen and death, where is your sting? This is what Jesus has done. And he says on the cross, it is finished. He has fulfilled the scriptures. He has proclaimed the good news to the poor and he has paid for it. This is done. And he has ascended into heaven. This is done. And he's coming back. And he's coming back soon. In Revelation 22 Jesus tells us this. He says, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's coming back. He's not finished. And when he comes, he will sort out every injustice and he will wipe away every tear. And so when we pray your kingdom come, we assert a future reality and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. With every shooting, with every cancer diagnosis of a child, with every financial problem, with every divorce, with every loss of a loved one, we say, come. Come, King Jesus. Come make this right. Come finish what you started. We ask the good king to come. And we know as we assert this future reality, this is not a pipe dream, but it is a a reality, a guarantee that the good king is coming and help is on the way. And so in this, this in-between time in which we live, we should live with sober kingdom ambition. With sober kingdom ambition. We should want darkness to be pushed back. We should want the kingdom to come. We should want the light to break in. And we should do everything we can to pray for, to fight for, to labor for that to happen. But we also must have wisdom. And we know that this world will not be perfect. And we long for Jesus to come back. We must be realistic and sober about the reality of the world in which we live. This is not apathy. It is wisdom. And so take Roe versus Wade being overturned. God cares about life. He's the author of life. He's the creator of life. He has jurisdiction over all life, including in the womb, viable, not viable. God has jurisdiction. And so when something like this is overturned, we do rejoice. We don't gloat, we rejoice. We say that's a good thing. And I'm not an expert on the legislation, but apparently that now it's a state's rights issue. But we we rejoice that there will hopefully be less abortions. 
There's certainly more work to do to care for single moms. There's just, there's, there's, and, and maybe, and don't be surprised, maybe there's worse legislation that's passed someday. Do not be surprised. This is the world in which we live. The kingdom is coming. Jesus is coming back. And so it goes with racism. So it goes with child trafficking. So it goes with poverty. And on and on and on we see the tragedies and the sufferings of the world. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. But we don't just sit on our hands. We, we ask to get involved. And that's the third thing. When we pray this, we ask to get involved. We say, God, put me to work. And listen, we don't, we don't bring the kingdom. You're not going to bring the kingdom. I'm not going to bring the kingdom. That's the king's job, but we have a job too. And that's to display the kingdom right here and right now. To be a model home for the kingdom of God. Right here in Argyle, Texas. Jesus says something interesting in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. We'll read these just right after another. So Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others. Display so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, let your light shine. But then he cautions us in Matthew 6. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. So is it be a light? Or be careful about demonstrating your righteousness in front of other people? Well, yes. Yes, when he says, beware of practicing your righteousness, he says that, that these people are, are doing this, the, these acts of kindness or these acts of benevolence in order to be seen by people. It's not shining the light of Christ, it's shining the light of me. Isaiah 62.3 says, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. What does that mean, a royal diadem? It means a, 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 be, a bejeweled crown, a shining crown. So are we meant to shine? Not really. I believe we underestimate. I want you to hear me. I believe we underestimate the power of an ordinary faithful life. The novelist, George Eliot, who was actually a female, it was her pen name, said this. This is one of my favorite quotes. I have it pinned up on my desk at home. It says, For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived a faithfully hidden life 
and rest in unvisited tombs? What if you had a small funeral or none at all? What if no one visits your grave? What if your whole life is unhistoric, not written about, not talked about? Well, if you are a Christ follower, your life has meant something. You have been a demonstration, a declaration, a display of the kingdom of God right here, wherever you have been. You have pushed back darkness by shining the light of Christ through your unremarkable life. It's a lie that we're meant to have the glory and to shine and be in the foreground. Your ordinary life is meaningful and purposeful and it is beautiful. So you display the kingdom at your office. You display the kingdom in your neighborhood. You display the kingdom at your kid's sports game. You display the kingdom. If you are a Christ follower, the Spirit of God lives in you. And you are a revolutionary presence in this world. And it comes from the inside. You see this? It comes from the inside. As you love God, his glory comes out through you. Not that you would shine, but that he would shine. We're like prisms. When light shines through a prism, it's, it's beautified, it's colored. We're like prisms. And you will beam with the glory of Christ when you are no longer standing in the foreground, but when you eagerly and joyfully step back and be a mirror to reflect the kingdom. Or a window through which people can see the kingdom right here in this world. So this is a personal plea, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in me. Ask the Lord to make him supreme in your affections at the root of the root of you. Ask the Spirit of God to help you love him more. That's an appropriate prayer. Ask him that he would be foremost in your affections Crown the king in your heart. And remember, this place is not your home. It's fulfilled, it's not finished. So yes, push back darkness. Don't be surprised when you see the shadows show up because one day the light of the world will come and very soon and he will blast all of the darkness away forever. He's coming. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Let's pray that now. Jesus, this world and and, and many of our lives are all kinds of messed up. 
and we can't fix them. We can't fix the world. We can't end the suffering. And in the same way that we can't pay for our sin, you must, we, we, we say that we cannot fix this, we cannot bring the kingdom, you must. We cry out and ask you, Holy Spirit, make Jesus king in us. Help us to see him for who he truly is. Father, you have given all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus. We long, God, for your rule and reign here. We long for you to make all things new. And we know this is a reality that is coming. And so for those of us in this room that have lost heart, that we are discouraged, that we are frustrated, that we are sad, that we are suffering, that we are limping. Lift our gaze. Lift our gaze to that word in Revelation 22 where Jesus, you says, behold, I am coming soon. As we now turn our attention to sing songs that are true about you, Would you lift our hearts to praise you appropriately? In Jesus' name, amen. Slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. He was slain so that we might reign. He was crushed so that he can establish the kingdom in us. And he will come again to establish his kingdom once and for all. Church, we're not praying. We're, we're not waiting for the world to change. We're praying on our knees that his kingdom would come, that his rule and reign would be established in our hearts, and we long and wait for the day that he brings it here. We're praying that heaven would come first in our hearts and we long for the day he brings his kingdom. Church, please pray with me. Pray that his kingdom reign and rule would be established in the territory of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are holy. You are mighty. God, <laughs> our lives... God, we long to give them to you as a, as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice because you're worth it. God, we pray that we would come under, under your design. We pray that we'd come under you as king. We pray that we would have brothers and sisters who walk alongside us that we might confess sin, bring it to the light. God, that we would repent of being our own kings and queens. And God, we, we would see you as gracious and holy and that you've bought us God, we pray that heaven would begin to stir in our hearts. Bring heaven on earth. God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the breath in our lungs. We thank you for the opportunities to be here. 
Let us see our forgiveness. Let us see that you have paid the penalty for us that we might not have new life. And let us, let us live with that hope. Let it be a reality to us. Let it be certain to us. Let us live with a confidence. Let us be light and darkness because of the great hope we have. And we pray that you would sanctify us. Shape us through the Holy Spirit more in the image of Christ. Let, us, let our hearts be broken so that we would look more like Jesus. Jesus, thank you for delivering us. I pray that you would continuously deliver us from evil. That we might show glory to your kingdom and raise you as the king of our hearts. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.